0: Hi folks, it's FPL FBL General here recording my last 59th minute podcast of the season. This is the episode that I really don't want to do, but I said I would do it, so I better I better be true to my word. So I'm going to do a bit of a season review slash lessons learned for next season. So am going to talk a little bit about why I think things went so badly for me. Uh, some of the takeaways that I'm going to bring into next season. And then I've got some got some really good questions from Twitter as well, um, so I'm just going to get just going to get stuck into it because for me the sooner I sooner I get stuck in the sooner this is over, and I can just uh, just start enjoying my summer and forgetting about what happened this year. So looking looking at my game week history page, so I this has been my worst ever season. Uh, I finished. Finished on 2,147 points, which was 516k overall. So it's actually, it was actually my worst ever season, even when I think back to the early days uh, on my season history. I had a couple of you know, 200, 300, 400k finishes when I started playing the game, when I didn't take it as seriously as I do now. So it was very, very, very disappointing to you know finish even worse than I did when I didn't take the game as seriously as I do now. So 516k, uh, awful, awful rank for my for the high standards that I set for myself. This is the this is the first time I finished outside the top fifty thousand since since two, the 2012 2013 season. So a season which has brought me back down to earth, which I think in a way is a good thing. You know, maybe I was getting maybe I was getting too big for my boots and felt felt like every season was going to be a good season in this fantasy. Malarkey is just easy. So I think I think in a way having a bad season I think there's a lot of positives that can be taken from it and a lot of lessons to be learned. So that's what I'm going to do um and hopefully come back stronger next season and come back a better a better FPL manager because I think no matter no matter how many, you know, top 500 ranks you have, no matter how good your season history is, I think there's always lessons to be learned in this game, you know, the game is always changing. So I think we always have to be on our toes um, and, you know, move move with the trends. So uh, talking a little bit about points hits, just looking at how many I took this season. I took uh, I took a minus four on eight occasions. So I took minus 32 in total this year. I, I avoided minus eights, minus twelves completely, didn't take any of them. So minus four was my biggest points hit at any point of the season. So that's probably pretty standard for me. Uh, eight minus fours. I think thinking back to last season when I did well, I think I only took four points hits. But again, you know, it's much easier to take less points hits when you've got the right players in from from the outset. So that was the reason for that. Uh, Looking at my chips, how the chips went, uh, the first wild card went very well. I played it in game week five and I rose from about 1.1 million to just under 200k over the course of the next three or four weeks. So, the The early wild card was successful. The second one, not so much. I played the second wild card. I think it was game week thirty four. I'm pretty sure it was thirty four. And you know, I ended up. You know, I think most of my, most of my arrows towards the end of the season were red arrows. So the the second wild card was a failure. And I've got a question later about whether maybe we should think about playing that wild card earlier next season. So I'll, I'll talk about that when the question comes. A triple captaincy chip was. A success. I played it on Manny in the single game week where he got his brace. Should have got a hat-trick hitting the post, you know, got a brace and got no bonus points. So, in a way, it was disappointing. But I think we have to call that a success given that, you know, a lot of people uh, were unsuccessful with their trip to captaincy chip this season. The The bench boost chip was pretty disappointing as well. As it often is for me, uh, I don't ever remember having a very good bench boost I played it in 35 this season and I had, my bench was Matt Ryan who got 12, so that was good. But then the Southampton guys let me down. I think I had Valerie, Ward-Prowse and Danny Ings. I think they only got five or six points between them that week. So I'm calling that a failure of a bench boost. You know, Matt Ryan makes it look better than than it was really. The free hit chip. I played it in thirty two and I got eighty three points now eighty three sounds good, but in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't amazing because that that was a game week rank of 1.5 million overall. So really when you're playing your free head chip, you want to be getting a a very high game week rank. So again, a pretty average chip there. So overall, probably probably a bit disappointed with how the chips went for me this season. So again, something to think about for the next campaign. Moving away from that now, uh, I'm going to I've noted down here a couple of reasons why I think things didn't go well for me this year. So I think one of the main ones one of the main ones was uh, a lack of preparation uh, and the lack of a plan going into game week 1. Uh, so when when I think back to game week 1, uh, I got married last summer. I got married on the 14th of July last summer. Was on honeymoon then until around the 1st or 2nd of August. So when I got back, it was all it was all a big rush, and um, that was when my Patreon started to kick off as well. So you know I got a lot of sign ups uh, late July, early August. So you know I was putting in a lot of work for that, uh, and you know trying to get up to speed with it. Um, and it, you know I just I, I didn't have time basically, I didn't have enough time to prepare my own game week one team. So I neglected my own planning and. You know, I ended up going into the season without having a a set in stone plan slash strategy, which I usually do. So, what I ended up doing was I kind of just set up my team for the first four game weeks with a view to more than likely wild card and early, and that's what I did end up doing. Um, and you know, not not doing enough research in in those early ga- in in preseason, it definitely contributed to my poor start to the season. As I said, after four game weeks, I was one point one million overall. Uh, and i think you know i just never recovered from that bad start okay, i've got a question as well later about you know how important is a good start so i'll come back to that as well but yeah i think that one of the, that is definitely one of the main reasons why i had a bad season was a poor start and that was because of a lack of preparation and and and, and the lack of a of a plan for the season so that's something that i'm definitely going to have going into the new season going to do a lot more research a lot more tinkering than i did last season and be well set up for the season in game week 1 Another reason why I think things didn't go well was something that a lot of people do nowadays is overthinking and over managing. So with with me going full time into fantasy football this season for the first time, you know, it gave me way too much time to spend on FPL. Uh, you know, way too much time to, you know, look at my own team, to to read content, to listen to podcasts. You know, there's so much great content out there, but I definitely overdid it with the content. Um, you know, spending way too much time with FPL on the mind. It just clouds your judgment completely and forces you maybe to make decisions that you wouldn't do if you were playing, you know, more of a casual approach, which I think often is can can turn out to be the best way to play the game. So yeah, so the, the main issue I found was especially with my Patreon content, I made the mistake of uh, not putting a limit on my highest level uh, of patreon, which was the whatsapp level So at one point I had a hundred and seventy five Whatsapp level patrons which meant I had hundred and seventy five one-to-one conversations going on Monday to Friday, you know looking at other people's teams talking about their Transfer ideas, you know bouncing ideas off each other so when it came to Friday night then for me to make my own team especially you know, Fridays tended to be my busiest day with all the Patreon stuff. So when, when I came to sitting down on a Friday night with my own team, you know, my head was absolutely fried. You know, I'd looked at 150 other teams throughout the week, talked about loads of different, you know, transfer ideas, combinations, captaincy, all this kind of stuff. And then when it came to my own team, I just didn't, didn't have a clear head. And I usually made, you know, a lot of the time I made decisions, you know, with a tired mind uh, and, you know just rushed moves uh, and talking about rushed moves I think back to one in particular that was a very you know very damaging part of my season it was game week eight uh, when I sold Callum Wilson and David Silva for Arnautovic and Knockhart and then over the next couple of weeks Wilson and Silva scored 43 and Arnautovic and Knockhart scored five and that that was a uh, that was a Friday night deadline, and I was in London on the Thursday for the FPL show. So I stayed in London the Thursday night, and then I was flying back on Friday. Uh, I think I was flying back about 1 o'clock, and then my flight was delayed for, for 2 or 3 hours in Heathrow. So I ended up not getting back to the house till about 5 o'clock, half 5, and then the deadline was at 7 o'clock. And in the meantime, I had a backlog of you know, Patreon work to get done. So then I ended up having to rush my transfers in the last 10 or 15 minutes. And that was when, you know, that was the worst transfers I made the whole season. You know, Wilson and David Silva, two very good FPL assets. Um, Yes, Wilson wasn't scoring goals, but his underlying stats were great and his fixtures were great. But because I had to rush my moves, I ended up making very, very poor decisions there, getting Arnie and Knockhart in. I think they were also playing that night, the Friday night. Uh, I think I talked Arnaudovic up on the FPL show the day before and I just was hell-bent on getting him in. Uh, but in hindsight, you know, it was it was two awful transfers. So again, it's all that comes down to to rushing things and and not spending enough time and and, and you know making making poor decisions with with without having a clear mind. Uh, what else do I want to say about overthinking and overmanaging? managing? Um, yeah, I think I think that, I think I've covered most of it there. I'll move on to the next thing I've noted down here is not sticking to my golden rule of patience. So a couple of examples there is one I mentioned there was was Wilson. Uh you know good good underlying stats and good fixtures and you know getting too impatient because he didn't score for two or three games and then just shipping him out. I should have had more patience there because the signs were pointing to an upturn in form. Um the one time this season as well that I made an early transfer, I made I got sick of Alonso. And he blanked against Newcastle and I sold him on the Sunday night after that game for Alexander Arnold. And then of course on the Tuesday, Trent we got news that Trent got an injury. So you can call that bad luck, but for me that is just me breaking my rule of patience. You know, it's I've always waited until Friday night after all the press conferences. I like to have as much information as possible before I make my moves and you know, I let myself down there with that Alonso to, to Alexander Arnold transfer. So again, next season it'll be back to tried and trusted patience. I never worry too much about team value, so I don't I don't worry about making early transfers to build that team value. So I'll just be waiting until Friday night, or even Saturday mornings next next season for all my moves. Uh, just more than anything else, it takes the frustration out of things like that. Alexander Arnold injury. Something else I think I I was very weak on uh, in 2018-19 was my captaincy picks. Uh, I just had a look at it this morning. Um, So I'm calling a captaincy fail is where the captain scores less than 10 points. Um, So my my captain got me less than 10 points on 15 occasions. Uh, And when I say 10 points, I mean 5 times 2. So... 15, I'm calling that 15, 15 poor captaincy decisions, or, you know, I wouldn't say poor decisions, but 15 captaincy blanks in my eyes. So, that number is way too high. You know, if you're going to have a very good season, you know, you you don't want to have 15, 15 poor captaincy hauls. So, you know, a lot of people that season went for 15, 16, 17 game weeks at the start of the season, nailing their captaincy every, every week. And, you know, that got them off to a great start, you know, a great platform to build on then. So, one of the key things i want to improve on next season is a much better return from my captaincy so when i when i set out my strategy my plan for the season in pre-season a key aspect of that is going to be the captaincy you know i'm going to be looking and you know i think i've been guilty in the past of not looking you know far enough ahead with, you know, which players I want to captain, you know, pinpointing game weeks and pinpointing captains in certain game weeks. So, I've probably always kind of just winged it a little bit with that and just gone week from week, week to week and, and, you know, captain the, the the best option that I have in that given game week. But I think, I think I've learned this season that captaincy is, I've you know, ca- I've always known captaincy is important, but I think it's one of the most important aspects of the game. Uh, and to have a good season, you need to get it right more often than not. So, a key aspect for me is going to be in my strategy. The captaincy is going to be central to any any plan that I have next season, and any decisions I make, you know, captaincy is always going to come into consideration. I've just noted down here as well uh, a scribble on the paper: "Too many crap FPL players." So when I, when I think of crap FPL assets, I'm thinking of players that were in my team this season at various points: Ross Barkley. Knockart, uh, Pereira from Watford, and Theo Walcott. Now, looking back on the season, uh, in hindsight, there are four players that never should have came into my side, you know, going on how I play the game. You know, I tend to stick to tried and trusted FPL assets, players that, players that won't get rotated, um, players that I, you know, usually when I bring in a player, I hope that I won't have to sell them in the near future. But, you know, all those four players, you could say bringing them in that you're, probably 75% certain that you're going to have to sell them again in a couple of weeks time so that's just a lot of wasted transfers and for me my strategy is always to try and minimize transfers so that was a failure on my part fell into too many traps this season with bandwagons Um, so that again that's another key aspect for me next season is to avoid those kind of players it takes a lot of discipline I think to avoid those kind of players because there's always a lot of hype around the players you know leading up to the game week and you feel like you know you convince yourself that they are a good option you look at the stats and you, you read the stats in a way that make the player look good uh, and you just you just kid yourself basically so I think the key is to try and avoid them in the first place um, tr- don't try you know don't paint something beautiful that's not beautiful you know there's, there's a better way to say that but that's the best I could do there and um, the last thing I'll mention here uh, that I think I failed on was not having enough Man City and Liverpool players throughout the season. Best two teams in the league score the most goals, uh, keep the most clean sheets, get the most FPL points. You know, get as many of them as you can. And even going into the final game week, I think I only had four from the two teams. You know, and you know a lot of people had had six. So for me, again going back to the seasons where I'd done well, I was very good at just focusing on. The top teams in the league and, you know, just having a sprinkle from from the other lesser sides who offer good value. So I think next season I want to have, I want to go into the season with a core, you know, six, seven, eight players from good sides who are just good FPL assets that can hopefully be set and forget for the season. And, you know, patience with those players. If you get in a good player, um, good player from a good team and they blank for five or six games doesn't mean they've become a bad player. You know, and, and more often than not, if you just be patient with them, you know, over the next five or six game weeks, they could they could score 50, 60 points easily. So, again, a lot of it comes back to patience and it's it's how you manage yourself in that situation. So I've, I've touched on a few of the lessons already that I'm going to bring into the season. Just going to go through anything else I've got noted down here. Um, I've already mentioned, number one, make transfers with a fresh mind. You know, if that means my head is fried on a Friday night, just go to sleep. And wake up on Saturday fresh and make the transfers then. Um, I I don't know about other people. I always have this fear of of sleeping in on a Saturday, even though the deadline's not till half eleven. Um, I do like my sleep, uh, and particularly you know if I'm out the night before. I just always have this fear of waking up at eleven eleven thirty five on a Saturday, having not made my transfer. So that's that's really why I usually make them on a Friday night. It's very rare that something will crop up between you know Friday night at ten or eleven o'clock and the Saturday deadline. So usually Friday night is a pretty safe time to make moves and it's mainly because of my fear of of sleeping in on on a Saturday morning. Um, What else am I going to take into the season? Avoid bandwagons which I've mentioned. Um, Just be strict with myself on that. Um, Another thing I want to avoid next season is injury prone players which has caused me a lot of grief this year. The likes of Arnie and Danny Ng spring to mind there. So... Something I'm gonna do before the season starts is I'm just gonna make a list of injury prone players. You know, players who've got a you know, a record of a lot of injuries. I'm tr- thinking of Mikhail Antonio's another one that springs to mind. You know, I didn't own him this season, but he would fall into this category. And just whenever I find myself considering a player who's injury prone, just don't get him. Because as I said, you're wasting a transfer to get him in. And more than likely, you're going to have to waste a transfer to get him out when he when he gets injured again. So that's two free transfers, very valuable. Two free transfers that could be used elsewhere. So that's something I want to do next season. Um, so with that in mind, uh, bandwagons and injury-prone players, I'm gonna I'm gonna next season when it comes to making a transfer, I'm gonna have a checklist. So number one, I'm gonna ask myself: Is the player is the player I'm considering bringing in, is he likely to be rotated over the next couple of weeks? So an example there would be Barkley. So if I asked myself that question when I was getting Barkley, I would say the answer was yes, because there's Kovacic, Loftus-Cheek, there's lots of options there. So that would have straight away X for Barkley, not getting him. The next thing I'll ask myself is, is this player an injury-prone player? So if I was getting Danny Ings or Arnautovic, this would be an X there, and I would just avoid them and just go for someone else. Um... The next question I would ask myself then is the player I'm selling, have I given the player enough time? You know, if I brought that player in for, you know, with five or six game weeks in mind and only three of them have passed and he's blanked in all three, you know, is it justified? You know, has his stats dropped off a cliff? How are the fixtures or should I give him those extra three weeks rather than getting this new player in? Um Again, it's all for me. It's all about minimizing transfers. Uh, I think I, I think I made forty two transfers in total this year, which is which is probably a pretty low amount uh, given the average. Um, but again, I, I just want to go into next season, and and you know I made thirty eight last year, so an average of one a week, and I kind of have that figure in my head going going into next season now. Obviously, it, it depends on on how, how many injuries and things like that you get, but really minimizing transfers by managing my squad well. Is what has got me those top five hundred finishes in the past. So that's something I want to try and go back to, again next season. Just focusing on 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 having a core group of players, trust those players long term, uh, and 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 avoid the point sets. What else am I going to do next season? I'm going to I'm going to listen to less FPL podcasts. I'm going to read less FPL articles. I'm going to watch less FPL videos. You know, there's so as I said, there's so much good content out there. Um, but you you really you've got to pick and choose what you watch and what you listen to, um, and I think you've got to limit it as well. And I think this comes this this works with Twitter and Reddit and things like that as well. You know, it's it's very easy to become addicted to these uh, forums. And, you know, spend you know check it five or six times a day, and I'm guilty of doing that with Twitter. Um, you know, I think you've got to manage how much time you spend thinking about FPL because otherwise you're just gonna overthink, overmanage, and make poor decisions. So. Um, one thing I do on Twitter is, you know, I don't follow too many accounts. I follow about 200, but I also mute, uh, you know, I mute a lot of accounts. Anything I don't want to see, I just mute it um, or mute, mute the person. And you know, I just focus on, I want to use my Twitter for seeing the content that I want to see from the people who I respect and who provide good content. So, you know, it's all about managing time as well. You know, if you follow five, six, seven hundred Twitter accounts and you go on Twitter, you know you, you're, you're gonna you're gonna be there all day. When I log into Twitter, um, it probably takes me about three minutes, two or three minutes to scroll down to where I was when I was last on there, because I follow so few um, and I just mute the accounts that I don't want to see. And that way, you're getting high quality content and you're not wasting time and you're not clouding your judgment as well with other stuff there as well. So I think that's. It's all about, you know, you've got to be disciplined. I think nowadays with, you know, with mobile phones where a lot of us are guilty of just spending, you know, way too much time on them. Um, And that's something I'm going to try to cut back on next season as well. Is less time on on things like Twitter um, and Reddit. The, and I mean, the reason for that is I want to focus more on my own team and my own strategy. Because if I'm on, if I'm looking at all kinds of websites and, and forums, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm neglecting my own team and my own strategy and my own content and, you know, I'm, I'm getting away from my own, you know, initial ideas. And, you know, usually your gut instinct, you know, watching a game and your gut instinct usually is, if you go with that, you, you won't be far wrong. It's when you start to overthink things and, you know, start taking other people's information on board too much, that's when you can start making... That's when things get frustrating because then you go you go with someone else's advice when you should have went with your own and I think that's key. You've always got to go with your own advice. Take all the content on board, but at the end of the day, it's your team, and do the make the decisions that you feel are right, and not what other people are telling you what to do. Uh, what else am I going to do? Again, I mentioned I'm going to plan a lot better for game week one, um, and have a you know have a strategy for the season, have a couple of golden rules, and, and stick by them, um, and definitely that checklist for making transfers is something I'm going to refer to every Friday night, um, and if any player doesn't satisfy it. I just won't be making the transfer. I mentioned as well, focusing on the top teams. Again, something I haven't done enough this season. So I'm going to move on now to the, the questions. I've got about five or six very good questions here. Um, so I'll rattle through these as quickly as I can. Uh, first one came from Alex Ball. So Alex is a fellow, uh, fellow veteran in, in Elite 64 who is joining me in the relegation to the Elite 64 Qualifier League. So Alex is another top, top manager who's had a very tricky season. I'm pretty sure Alex has never been worse than 60K in about 10 years, um, and he's had a similar season to myself. So Alex's question is, with so many season managers struggling this season, what do you think has changed from previous seasons, and how will you adapt next season based on what you've learned this season? So I've kind of covered the... You know what I've learned and what I'm going to do next season but Alex asks what has changed um, I don't think too much has changed within the game you know we've still got the players you know we still got you know the top you know the best players score the most FPL points I think I think the biggest thing that has changed is the ready, readily available information for managers nowadays you know and we've seen so many of the top 10k this season have never been there before so the new breed have arrived. And I think, you know, when I think back to when I was an FPL manager for the, for the first time, I didn't have Twitter. I didn't have, I didn't look at any forums. I just, all I did was watch matches of the day on a Saturday night and manage my FPL team off that. You know, there was no podcast, no articles, none of that crack. Nowadays, if you're, if you're a new FPL manager, you can come in next season. You know, if you're coming in next season as a new manager, never played the game before... You could you could easily not watch a single game. You could uh, read a couple of articles a week, listen to one or two FPL podcasts a week, and then make your transfers. And you could easily you could you could win FPL. You could win FPL by not watching a game. It, you know what is possible. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing that has changed. There's so much information out there nowadays, and the biggest challenge I think um, is how you manage yourself and how you manage that information. Um, I think, you know, talking about veteran managers like myself and Alex, who've had tough seasons, you know, I'm sure Alex will, will probably say the same thing as me. You know, back in the day, you know, go back four or five years ago, it was so much easier to play the game because it was so much less noise. And you just did your own thing. Um, But again, definitely the competition is fierce now. You know, it's getting harder and harder every season to get those top 10k finishes. I've got three top 500 finishes and, I'll you know, I'll be... I really don't expect to get one again, to be honest. Given how you know how good the competition is out there, you need to have a phenomenal season nowadays. With you know over six million managers to get the to get the top five hundred finish, so um, very very challenging, and it's only going to get harder and harder as the seasons go on for us veterans. So, um, you know, do we stick to our tried and trusted strategies, or do we do we adjust? But for me, you know, I, I I'm I'm not going to change too much next season. I'm going to stick to what I've always done. You know, I've always been a conservative manager. Uh, avoiding point sets, you know, waiting for Fridays, all that kind of stuff. So I won't be changing too much uh, next season. I think probably something that has changed for me in the last three years, and and more so than any this year, is being in the public eye as well. I think that definitely comes with its, with its own challenge. You know, when you are when you are doing TV shows, when you are on podcasts, you know, every and you know when you've got a big following on Twitter, every move you make is scrutinized. But I think for me, I don't think that has affected me too much. Um you know I I don't I don't post my I don't post my team on Twitter until after the deadline. So again I think that helps me because I think it it would be harder to make certain moves if you had to post your team you know an hour before the deadline you you know and all the criticism and the the question marks would come with it. But I don't think that has affected me too much but there definitely are challenges um you know being in the public eye definitely comes with its own challenges and that's something I need to manage better next season as well. Next question is from Sofa King. Uh, do you think your conservative slash patient play style maybe hurt you this season? Maybe an aggressive eight-point hit at some point uh, before Christmas might have helped correct the course. So very good question here again. Um, and I think I think my conservative patient approach definitely did uh, hurt me this season. I was in a position where I had to chase which I'd never really been in before so I was out of my comfort zone and I decided to, you know, when you're when you're way back in the rankings you've got to decide whether you stick to what you know or do you change up your strategy and, and go for broke and take points hits and all that kind of thing. I decided to just stick with my approach and see, see how it went for the season and it obviously didn't go very well so in hindsight, you know, I mentioned I didn't take any minus eights this season. In hindsight, maybe I should have been more aggressive given that I was... You know, especially when you're down three, four, five hundred k with only a couple of weeks to go, maybe I should have just uh, went for went all out and, and you know had a real go at it. Um, so I think in future, if I ever find myself, you know, fingers crossed, I won't finger uh, fingers crossed, I won't find myself in the position I was in this season. You know, having such a terrible season. But I think if I did, I think I would be more inclined to maybe be more aggressive um, because the conservative approach didn't work for me this season. So I think when you've got nothing to lose, you may as well just go for it. Um, and I do think, you know, possibly a couple of minus eights here and there may have, you know, steadied the ship for me. I don't think it would have saved my season, but it may have improved things. Next question is from Joe Paul, Paul Shonsky. Uh, good question here. How important psychologically and tactically do you think a good start to the season is? So I find myself having a very poor start. Uh, and I definitely do think that affected me psychologically and tactically because I think if you have a good start to the season, you know, it's very easy to just, you know, be a lot more confident and just keep doing what you're doing. But if you have a very bad start to the season, that's when you start to overthink things and try and second guess yourself because you doubt yourself because you've made poor choices for the first couple of weeks. So something I am really determined to do next season is to have a good start and um, and you know, having a quick look at Elite 64 as well, I need to look, I need to look at this in more detail. But I often find you know the players that finish very highly in the rankings, if you look back at their season history, you know a large proportion of them had a very good start to the season. So I, I do think a good start is very very important. It's not essential, you know. It's we see it all the time. People claw back from one million to finish top ten k, but. I think a good start, you know, sets you up in good stead for the season because if you've had a good start, you've got most of the, you've more than likely you've got most of the good players in already, so you can focus your transfers around the fringes. You don't have to do much uh, shaking up, and if you if you have a good start as well, you can you can probably save your first wild card for a little bit longer as well, which can be which can be an advantage too. So I do think a, a good start is very important, um, and it's something I'm hoping to achieve next season. Next question was from Alan Cooper. Uh, Alan asks, what three things do you think you could have, could have, slash should have done differently? Um, so the three things that spring to mind here are, number one, keep Salah for Christmas. Um, I sold Salah game week 18 for to get Sterling and Sani in. And Salah went on a run of 49 points for the next five weeks. While Sterling and Sani scored four points each over the next two game weeks, uh, when when City lost those two games just before Christmas, so that's one thing I would have done. I would have kept Salah. I was probably a bit uh, knee-jerk and selling them. I kept him for the hat trick against Bournemouth, captained them forty-two points. Then he played United and got nothing and didn't look great. But you know Salah never does much against the top sides. Well, United you know, we're not even a, we're not really even a top side anymore. But I was probably too quick to sell him. And it was the fear, the fear of Man City assets drove that transfer. You know, uh, Sane and Sterling were hurting me every week, and and I decided to get both of them in instead of having Salah. And obviously, that back backfired big time. So, keeping Salah is one thing I would have done differently. Uh, number two would be I've mentioned that a few times: more focus on Liverpool and City assets, having more of them more often. And number three, I probably looking back, I would have been more aggressive. You know, especially in the last couple of weeks when things were not going well. So, you know, maybe more points hits and, and a few, few more punts here and there. Uh, good questions. Cheers, Alan. Uh, next question is from Martin Squires. Is the save the second wild card for the double game week outdated, given the increased rotation we see now? And should we, you know, should we use the second wild card earlier to get more from it? So that's definitely something I'm going to think about next season especially because my second wild card was a bit of a failure this year. Um a lot of people who played their second wild card earlier, you know, just after Christmas, just after the new year, um ended up doing very well from it. And I, I always like an early wild card because you get a lot more game weeks to benefit from it. Um so definitely something I'd be thinking about next season is possibly playing the wild card, the second wild card earlier, um because rotation is a nightmare. And you know, this crack of you know, wild card and then bench boosting the week after. I, I don't think it's ever worked out very well for me, so I'm always open to to new ideas with that one. Um, I know a lot of people. Every every summer, people talk about you know bench boosting in game week one because if, you know essentially it's the only week where you have a wild card and a bench boost in the same game week because you know you can set up your game week one team and then bench boost. Um, but again, that's not for me because there's too many question marks. Game week one, you're not guaranteed to get 15 starters because you've got no previous information to go on. So, um, but definitely, I'm always open to, I'm always flexible with with chips and things like that. So, it'll be interesting to see how that how that shakes out next season. But definitely, I'm open to an earlier second wild card next year. Uh, next question from John Chapel, a very loyal listener this season. John, thank you for the questions every week. Uh, two questions from John. First one is, which players do I have penciled in for next season? And the answer is, my pencil is not even out yet. Um, I'm not even thinking about which players I'm going to have in Game Week 1 next season until we get the fixtures and until we get the player prices, because player prices really dictates everything. Um, So the fixtures are announced on the 13th of June, so at least then we can start thinking about which teams to target for the first couple of weeks. And then hopefully... Early July, we will have the player prices. Um, it's been it's been early July. It's been the first week of July the last couple of seasons when FPLs relaunched. But hopefully, hopefully the fact that we've had a bar have a bar in summer, um, they might treat us and give it to us early or late June instead. So fingers crossed. And um, but yeah, I'm not thinking about game week one team until I have fixtures and player prices. Um. Uh, the next, uh, the next podcast after this one will be going to take a break from the 59th minute podcast for the summer. Um, and once we get once the game relaunches, then I'll do a podcast that week. You know, with my initial thoughts on on some players that I like, price wise, and maybe something I don't like. Um, John's second question was from uh, John. Second question was, what effect will VAR have next season? Yeah, so VAR is coming in. You know, will we have more penalties? Will we have less penalties? There's a lot of debate about that at the minute. There was a, a very interesting uh, graphic I posted on Twitter uh, yesterday from the FPL show. Go check that one out on VAR from La Liga, Bundesliga and the Serie A. You know, and how it affected things there. And in two of those leagues, the penalties dropped off in the following season. And I think it was La Liga. Just one of the leagues anyway, penalties went up. I think it was La Liga. So I don't think VAR will affect things too much. You know, we could see a bit of a spike possibly the first few weeks like we did in the World Cup and then it tails you know, it, it tails off and, and, and it evens out then. But I don't think VAR will influence my Game Week One team at all. Um, you know, I've always liked penalty takers in FPL and I don't think that's gonna change for the better or for the worse uh in next season. So we're definitely gonna have managers out there who are gonna pick seven or eight attackers who are all penalty takers and it could well pay off for the first few weeks. So it's going to be very interesting to see how VAR does affect FPL but for me I don't think it'll change things too much. Uh, last question I will tackle is from Milan Dobročic. Um Milan asks how do I approach building my game week one team? So I said you know I don't have any players in mind but when when I when it comes to building a game week one team, a couple of things I do is number one, I tend to avoid the promoted teams. Uh, Jota was the only one I got last season. Will, uh, Wolves were a bit of an exception because they were coming up as a as a very very good side. You know, I don't think we're going to have that this season with the likes of Norwich, Sheffield United, and whoever else gets promoted. So, uh, game week one this season, I'll be avoiding the three promoted teams completely. Give them a couple of weeks and see then if there's any gems there because. More than likely, when you get a Game Week 1 promoted player, you're going to have to transfer him out after a couple of weeks. Because chances are they won't deliver. So to me, that's a wasted transfer. You're setting yourself up already to waste to transfer. Um, so on the flip side, uh, Game Week 1, I always tend to focus on tried and trusted FPL players. Focus on the teams I think are going to perform well for the first couple of weeks. Um, so this season, you know, last season I think I went in, I set up looking at the first four game weeks, I think. This season, or next season, I'll probably look at a, a bit of longer stretch, maybe six to eight game weeks for fixtures uh, when I'm building my Game Week 1 team. But I'll, I'll talk a lot more about that in the in the pre-season podcasts. Um, Thanks for the questions, folks. Hopefully you found some of this useful. Uh, you can chew on it for the summer and, you know, come back to it maybe when you're building your Game Week 1 team. Thanks. Uh, a huge thanks for listening this season. You know, it blows me away that so many people take take a half an hour or 40 minutes out of their week to, to listen to my view. So it really means a lot. A big shout out to my patrons for their support this season. Thank you very much for that. Um, I'm going to keep the Patreon going during the summer. I am going to wind down from uh, Twitter and, and things like that for a couple of weeks. But I am going to continue doing Patreon content for the loyal, the loyal addicts like myself who are sticking around for the summer. So I'm going to do a... I'm doing an Ask Me Anything podcast this evening on Patreon, so no FPL questions are allowed there from Patreon. So lots, lots of good questions. So that should be a good podcast. It's going to be nice to do a podcast that is non-FPL related. So basically it's a it's a chance to get to know me better. Um, and my plan for Patreon for the summer is to do a Back to Basics. Basically it's a, a Back to Basics Generals Bootcamp. So for me... You know, after a per season, I'm going to go back to basics, and you know, you know, I'm going to do hopefully one or two podcasts a week on just the basics of FPL. You know, start from the rules. You know, talk about wildcards, talk about price changes, protecting team value, all that kind of stuff. Just cover all aspects of the game, uh, really, from a basic approach. You know, for, because it'll suit people who are new to the game, but it also it's good for I think it's good for any manager to remind themselves of the basics. You know I'll go through what's worked well for me over the seasons as well. So looking forward to, to doing that content during the summer. Uh it'll probably be in the form of short podcasts, you know, 10, 15, 20 minute podcasts on different aspects of FPL. So that should be good. And you know if you wanna if you want to check those out during the summer, you can sign up at the, the lowest Patreon pledge level. Uh, the two dollar pledge level will get you all that content during the summer. So if you need your fix of content check that out uh, in may and june Um, enjoy enjoy the break we all need a break uh enjoy the summer uh, whatever you're up to and um, enjoy the FA cup enjoy the champions league and before we know it before we know it the game will be relaunched and the tinkering will have commenced so again thanks thanks for listening folks and and enjoy your summer break